All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be going from verse 10 to verse 24, closing out the epistle today. <clears throat> we covered a good bit last week. Probably going to be relieved. We're not covering quite as much this week. <laughs> but uh, we saw that the beloved children of God, uh, or as the beloved children of God, we should be imitators of Him. Sons are supposed to be like their fathers. Uh, this means that we walk in love. And walking in love means we do not take part in the works of darkness, but rather we function as the sons of light. Exposing the evil works of darkness that those in darkness may be saved. We are to be constantly filling ourselves with the Spirit, being controlled by Him in our daily lives. The overflow of this feeling manifests itself in the corporate worship of God's people when we address each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts, and giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It also manifests itself in our households, where wives are to be submissive to their husbands as to the Lord, and husbands are to sacrificially love their wives as Christ loves the church. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord, and parents are to nurture their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, or for our modern context we used employees, are to obey their masters or employers as if rendering service to the Lord. And masters, employers, are to treat their slaves, employees, which sounds weird now that I say that out loud, but they're, uh, they're supposed to treat them with dignity because both equally share a common master, Jesus Christ. So after having covered all these things and more, the Holy Spirit through Paul brings the epistle to a close with these words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know 
how I am, uh, how I am, and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Father, again we come in the name of our Lord Jesus. We pray now that you would help us to give attention to your word. <clears throat> pray, Lord, that you would help me to rightly, faithfully, truthfully exposit this text. Help us all to understand what you were saying to your people through it. And then help us to follow through with that. To obey you. For our own good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, well, if it wasn't clear from all the scripture reading we've done today, we're talking about going to war today. <laughs> um text begins, finally, or this might be better translated, henceforth. Because this is not meant in the sense of, okay, now I'm giving my final instructions. It's not the sense of the Greek word. Rather, Paul is saying, since all the things we have discussed to this point are true, henceforth, this is what you ought to do. This is true, therefore, that should be what you do in response to this truth. Now what things? In this epistle, we have seen the eternal plan of God the Father that he would unite all things in heaven and on earth in Jesus. We have seen how that is currently unfolding in the context of the church. By his manifold wisdom, he has brought together Jew and Gentile to make one nation, one temple, one body, one church, one family of God. In Christ, God is recapitulating humanity, renewing and restoring his image in his elect children. To paraphrase the teaching of the church fathers, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Since this is true for the elect, that we were chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless before him, we ought to live like it. Walking in love toward God and those bearing his image. We ought to be the light that confronts and exposes the darkness. And that confrontation here is depicted as war. Henceforth, what ought we to do? First, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The passage we are considering today has a lot of imperatives, a lot of things we are to do in the war against evil. But this is the backdrop to all of our doing that needs to be remembered throughout. We are not to fight this war in our own strength. We are weak and helpless. Left to our own strength, we would still be in darkness ourselves. We are not able to raise ourselves to newness of life, and we are not able to walk in that newness of life in our own strength. 
Likewise, we're not able to overcome the forces of darkness by our own might. Paul put forward this same principle in terms of salvation to the Galatians when he asked them this question. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? No, of course not. Um, we tell our children, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Well, the thing is, God brought us into this world and we won't stay in it without his help. Right? We, we rely on him for our very existence. How could we fight in our own might? We, we, we can't even exist apart from him. <laughs> um, now, we are commanded to take our strength from the Lord. It is he who has overcome. Past tense. Has overcome the powers of darkness. It is he who came to destroy the works of the devil. He is the strong man who plunders Satan's goods. It is he who shall have every enemy placed under his feet. We must fight. We must fight. But we must fight by his strength and not our own. It is through Christ that we win the battle and ultimately win the war. So, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, armor is a, quote, defensive covering for the body, a quality or circumstance that affords protection or a protective outer layer. The idea is one of protection from hostile forces. It's defense. In this case, those hostile forces are schemes or the craftiness and deceit of the devil. So, Immediately we can know this is not talking about a physical war where we're literally putting on uh, battle armor and going and trying to confront those who are the enemies of Christ, uh, physically killing them and things like what happens in war. No, um, this is spiritual war um, because the, the weapon of the enemy is particularly deception, denial of the truth. Uh, putting forward things that are not true. Lies. It is perversions of the truth, often very complex and thought out perversions of the truth. And I mean, think about this. Think about all the world religions and how complex many of them are. And the, the fact that there are so many of them, first of all, there's a diversity of these lies. Okay? Um, I, I once said something along the lines... Truth is uniform. Uh, lies are diverse. The truth is just, it's one truth. It's the truth. Lies can take on many forms. And they do. We see that manifested in the world's religions. Uh, this is a manifestation of what our parents taught us growing up, right? When you tell one lie, you have to tell another lie to cover up that one, and then another to cover up that one, and then the process goes on and on until now we have a complex web of lies designed for the specific purpose of obscuring and covering the truth. But now we've gone so far down the rabbit hole that we've begun to believe our own lies as if they were the truth. And then we convince others of these lies. Jesus said that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. From the moment the devil first spoke to Eve until now, 
This is the great war that has been waged in the heavenly places and manifests itself here in the material world. Since we have proven time and again that we are no match for the devil apart from God, we are to put on the complete armor of God that we may be able to withstand the assaults of the devil. Again, it's his armor. It's his defenses. We put it on. Apart from him, we are defenseless. <clears throat> Four, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In fact, it's actually our goal and our hope that many of those we fight against in terms of the flesh and blood, many of those we hope will be saved. And we're not trying to destroy them. We're trying to have them saved, right? Uh, or, or rather that, that God would save them through the preaching of the gospel of him who is light. That, that's what we're trying to shed light into the darkness, the light of the gospel. That's something which is important to bear in mind as we confront those who promote things that are opposed to God in the ultimate sense. They are not the enemies we are fighting. They are face. Yes, they are those who are embodying this uh, force that we're fighting. They're not ultimately the force we're fighting. We're fighting for those people. Rather, we wrestle against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are fighting a spiritual battle against demonic forces. And these demonic forces have real power. Look again how they are described. Rulers, authorities, Cosmic powers over, as in ruling over this present darkness. Spiritual forces. Earlier, earlier in this same epistle, Paul describes Satan as being a prince. He's the prince of the power of the air. There's real authority here. He is the prince over the demonic forces and over this evil world system in which we live. See how he wars against humanity by his lies. We have come to a place in our society where it is seen by some as virtuous to kill your unborn children because, well, not doing so would mean that you don't get ahead in the corporate world. And everybody knows that women should want to be like men instead of glorying in the fact that God made them as women because there's real glory there. No, no. Uh, society says that women should obtain their glory by trying to be like men. So kill your unborn child and also seek unrestricted sexual gratification because as long as it feels good, that's what we want, right? doesn't matter uh, if it's immoral. In fact, it's not immoral. Uh, it's, it's what we should be seeking, our own gratification and pleasure, right? And we also are told by society that we're to deny our covenantal obligations because marriage is really just a contract, right? And whenever we want to get out of it, we can. It's, no, uh, Scripture says it's a covenantal thing. It's supposed to last for life. But uh, society says, no, this, this is also for your own gratification. And even we're taught now to deny that 
God created them male and female. We're our own God. We can decide what we are. Maybe we're confused and we'll figure it out later. Well, does Pilate's words to Jesus describe our culture? He said to him who is truth. What is truth? As if it were not some objective reality, but a subjective thing to be defined by each individual as if he were his own God. Satan is still deceiving humanity in the same way he did back in the garden. Don't you want to be like God, but without God? Um, just, a, just a quick aside. I just want to present this question for you. to Food for thought. I'm not going to answer it. I want you to think about it. God created man in his image. So why was God-likeness a temptation? Just a thought. Just a thought. Don't you wish to determine your own reality as only God could do? Don't you want to be your own God? From the garden to now, we have never withstood the devil and his schemes apart from God. The moment man decided to go his own way, we fell. And we have never, in our own strength, gotten up. Therefore, take up the whole, or maybe that's better translated, complete. There's a fullness involved here. The complete armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul emphasizes the importance of the command by repeating it. This is now the second time he has said, take up the complete or the whole armor of God. We must put on the complete set if we are to be able to stand in the evil day. We must use those things he has given us for our protection, his strength, lest we fall before the enemy. Once we're clothed in his strength, we are able to stand and not only stand, stand firm. We're not going back. If we're going anywhere, we're going forward. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, we are about to talk about each of these particular pieces of armor. But again, notice the order. Stand, since you already have put on this armor, having already fastened on the belt of truth. Don't try to make your stand before you fasten on the belt. Don't try to make your stand before you put on the armor. Put on God's armor and then make your stand. So having fastened on the belt of truth, or other translations, and I think this is probably actually a better way to translate it, uh, having gird your loins with truth. The idea is of fastening your belt to be prepared for battle. Uh, in his commentary on this passage, Albert Barnes explains, quote, the girdle or the sash was always with the ancients an important part of their dress. In war as well as in peace, they wore loose, flowing robes and it became necessary to gird them up when they traveled or ran or labored. The girdle was often highly orna uh, ornamented 
and was the place where they carried their money, their sword, their pipe, their writing instruments, etc. The girdle seems sometimes to have been a cincture of iron or steel and designed to keep every part of the armor in its place and to gird the soldier on every side. Quote, so the soldier's tunic would be tightly tucked into the belt before battle. In other words, this was the piece of equipment that ensured that all the other pieces were in their proper place and in the proper way. So how fitting that Paul would associate this with truth. The piece of armor that ensures the rest of the suit is properly ordered as we fight against the father of lies is the belt or the girdle of truth. All of the rest of the pieces of armor are properly placed, properly ordered when we fasten the belt of truth. John MacArthur comments, quote, The Christian is to gird himself in an attitude of total truthfulness. To be girded with truth therefore shows an attitude of readiness and of genuine commitment. It is the mark of the sincere believer who forsakes hypocrisy and sham. In other words, the outward manifestation is truly of the inward reality. What's going on with us? We're not hypocrites. We are really manifesting what's true about us in our being. But MacArthur continues, Every encumbrance that might hinder his work for the Lord is gathered and tucked into his belt of truthfulness so that it will be out of the way. This means first, confessing who God is, confessing who we are before him. We need to have a right view of who God is, right view of who we are. God is the infinite, holy, and righteous creator and judge of all. We are his fallen, sinful creatures. Who, I'll just say it, stupidly rebelled against him. Guarding ourselves the belt of truth means confessing our sin. Confession to say the same thing as him. We confess our sin to him and our total reliance upon him. It means making no compromise with that which is false, not even something seemingly small. The God who cannot lie is a God of truth. Jesus said he is truth itself and that he came to bear witness to the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And those who worship the true God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth holds together the armor of God. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness... First, the breastplate would have covered the entire torso area, both front and back. I've heard it said that there's no covering for the back, which shows that we're supposed to stand against the enemy, we're supposed to charge forward. And surely we are commanded to stand against the enemy and eventually charge forward, that's correct. But an exposed area of the back is not a good argument for why we're to do that. Putting on the breastplate simply means we're fully protected from enemies whether they attack us from the front or the back, which means we're free to move however we need to move when we're fighting. 
That's a better argument for going forward. That said, the righteousness of which Paul is speaking here is either of the imputed righteousness of Christ, the practical righteousness which flows from it, or perhaps both. Uh, first, it is by the imputed righteousness of Christ that the accuser of the brethren is disarmed. Scripture says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then the answer comes, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And did you catch that some of the spiritual enemy, uh, enemies that were just named in Ephesians were also explicitly included in that list in Romans? And then the rest were implicitly included as well. For our sake, the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God through Christ has taken away our sin and given us his own righteousness by which nothing can hurt us in the ultimate sense. Because we're judged on Jesus' merits, not our own. This imputed righteousness leads to practical righteousness, or we might say practical holiness, which has been the broader subject of the last two and a half chapters, which is why I think it is in view here. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Put on the new man, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. All of these things have been said over the last two and a half chapters. Over and over, the Holy Spirit tells us through Paul, we are to walk according to the new nature we have as new creatures in Christ Jesus. If taken in this sense, it would be that we are righteous according to our new nature in Christ, and so we live in accordance with that nature. We have a disposition toward righteousness which protects our hearts against the temptations of the enemy. A breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. For the soldier, a good pair of shoes will be those which enable him to maintain his footing while not impeding his ability to move quickly. Roman soldier's shoes would have uh, covered more than just his feet. It would have also covered large portion of his lower leg. It was protecting him. Okay, So that's what you need to uh, understand. This is not going to be a pair of sneakers. Okay, This is going to be something that's actually going to protect your lower, uh, the lower part of your leg, including your foot. <clears throat> the soldier needs to be quick and steady with his feet. The gospel that brings peace between God and man that unites heaven and earth, serves to keep us grounded as believers. The knowledge that we are at peace with God and indeed have become his adopted sons prepares us for battle against the forces of evil. As we just saw from the passage I quoted from Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
What more do we need to make us confident and steady on our feet? What more do we need? We would go into battle confident that we're going to win. I mean, the fact of the matter is we can't lose. When we're in Christ, literally, we don't have the ability to lose. Uh, what more confidence do you need? <laughs> in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How is faith our shield against the fiery darts of the devil? I'm going to share a personal story with you to try to illustrate this, okay? Um, so just bear with me. This actually is going to tie back into the text. I'm not just, you're not just having story time with Jonathan, okay? Um, but about 10 years ago, I had a serious, I mean serious, crisis of faith. Um, I had done some extremely foolish things, sinful things. And despite my confession of sin before the Lord multiple times, my conscience could not be appeased. The story makes me think about uh, Martin Luther. Uh, he just didn't matter what he did. He never could find peace. Not lasting peace. He might feel good for a few minutes, but or even for a few days. But eventually, the weight of sin would crush him again. That's where I was at. I doubted that I was saved. And that God could ever love me. I talked to several brothers that I trusted. My dad was a pastor. So I knew a lot of pastors in particular. I had a lot of men that I could consult. And I did. I read scripture. I read other books. I prayed and I prayed. Nothing would give me the lasting peace for which I was searching. That is until I had an email exchange with a particular brother. I did not know him personally. Ironically, all these guys I did know personally wasn't getting anywhere with them. I talked to a guy I didn't know personally, but th this guy, through his ministry, he had made it clear that he was available to talk to people who were struggling with their consciences like I was. So I emailed him this long, drawn-out, detailed message about the sin that was troubling my conscience. And in his first response, he sent me a couple of clarifying questions, and I answered those. But then his next answer shocked me. And I mean that when I say it shocked me, it shocked me. He simply said this, and I quote, I don't believe you. That was it. That was the only thing he said in the email. I don't believe you. So I just poured my heart out to this man. He, he doesn't know me, and I don't know him. But I just poured my heart out to this man, and everything I told him was the truth. And how in the world could he dare come back to me and go, I don't believe you. But I thought maybe he's going somewhere with this. So I, I replied, what do you not believe and why? I wanted to explain it to him. I knew I wasn't lying to him. Well, his response didn't clarify anything for me like I expected. Instead, he, he doubled down on the previous message. He said, I don't believe what you're telling me about yourself. I think you're a liar. Oh, he thinks I'm a liar. <laughs> I'm in a very deep depression at this point. Okay, like I'm about to lose the will to live. That's how low I was, okay? And this guy, is he's saying, I think you're a liar, okay? <laughs> so I had no confidence in myself whatsoever. Like, you know, normally you want to defend yourself. 
I'm doubting so bad that I, I responded with a message suggesting maybe he's right. Maybe I'm deceiving myself. Like, that's how low I was, okay? I knew what I was telling him was true, but I, I, that's how much doubt I had. So I'm not thinking clearly at all by this point. And then what happened next? His response has changed my life forever. And I hope it serves to illustrate how faith is our shield. Here I was being wounded by fiery dart after fiery dart. And then this man asked me, Jonathan, how does it feel that I'm calling you a liar? And it's on my, it was a little longer, but in some my response was, well, I don't like it. I like you calling me a liar. So then he got to his point. Let me ask you this. How do you think God feels when you keep questioning whether or not he would save you when you called out to him to rescue you? Aren't you doing the same thing? Aren't you calling God a liar? Oh. He would go on to say, first things first. Trust. Have faith in his promises. Stop doubting. When he says he will not cast you out if you come to him, he meant it. It would be a few months before I completely came out of depression and completely stopped doubting. And there were several other helps that followed that one. But over time, the brother's words, even now, honestly, continued to turn over in my head. And one day, I didn't doubt anymore. Because I finally understood that my faith, my trust, is in Jesus. Not my own worthiness, my own merits. I had grown up in the church. I had grown up under teaching my entire life. And I had never understood that. I thought I had to believe hard enough. And if I believed hard enough, then I would do things that were righteous. I would not sin. So when I would sin, I didn't believe hard enough. And therefore, I must not be saved. But now, I finally was able to understand it was not my faith that saved me per se, as in the strength or the quality of my faith. But rather, faith is merely the means by which I am joined to Christ. It is the object of faith. The object to which faith joins us. Jesus who saves us. And once our faith is focused completely upon Christ, when we realize that our worthiness, our merit, comes from Christ alone and not ourselves, the devil's fiery darts cannot touch us. Our trust in Christ shields us from the assaults of the enemy. We rest in his promises and his righteousness. And when we do sin, we do not lose faith because we know, as scripture says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. MacArthur explains, faith is only as reliable and helpful as the trustworthiness of its object. And Christian faith is powerful and effective because the object of faith, Jesus Christ, is infinitely powerful and absolutely dependable. Christian faith never fails because the one in whom the faith is placed never fails. Next, we are to take the helmet of salvation. Scripture speaks of salvation in terms of past, present, and future. 
we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. We're to say that perhaps more clearly. We are presently justified, we are being sanctified, and we will be glorified. Hope and assurance of this salvation in Christ is what keeps us motivated and focused as we fight on to victory. We know we're going to win in the end. So why will we not fight? The hope of salvation guards the mind so that we may think clearly how we ought to wage the war. And it guards the mind that we never lose sight of why we're fighting in the first place. Having put on all the purely defensive pieces of equipment, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Swords can be used as defensive weapons. They can be. But this is the only piece of equipment in the armor of God that can be used for an offensive assault as well. The rest of the armor stops the devil from harming us. This is the one with which we defeat him. We see this modeled for us by our Lord himself. When the devil came to tempt him after his baptism, how did Christ defeat the devil? He used scripture. And he used it in its proper context. You see, the devil doesn't mind using scripture. He'll twist it all day long and make you think it's the truth. That's why it's so important for us to know. It's so important for us to know what the Word says. That way when we have those verses quoted us out of context, we can go, actually, the Scripture says this. I'm afraid too often we're ashamed to fight evil with the Word of God today. There's this idea, prevalent idea, in the American church that the world, uh, the world out there does not recognize Scripture for what it is, so we have to make an appeal on neutral ground. Neutral ground. But understand that when we do that, we're giving up the one offensive weapon in the arsenal that God has given us. God's Word is binding on the consciences of all mankind whether they want to recognize it or not. Scripture says of itself, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit or joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Imagine going into a battle and the enemy says, well, you can't use your sword. That's not fair. You have to meet me on neutral ground. First of all, why would you be dumb enough to listen to your, what your enemy <laughs> wants to engage you? Uh, he's shooting fiery darts at you. Oh, but you can't have a sword. Really? But imagine another scenario, okay? Imagine a courtroom, okay? And the defendant says that the trial uh, is irrelevant because he does not recognize the judge or the court or any of the laws which... The judge is supposed to be upholding. He doesn't recognize any of these things as valid. Okay, Would we allow the defendant to, in essence, become the judge in that way? He's the defendant, and now he's over here trying to judge the judge. 
judge his law? Of course not. That's not how society works. That's not how law works. But if we wouldn't do that on a human scale, why would we do that with God and his word? God is the judge of all. This is his world. He made it. And the Bible is his law word. Each person is subject to that law and each person in the deepest recesses of their soul anyway, they know that. They know that. His word tells us they know that. So bringing this back around to the idea of the word as our sword, we should not give up our only offensive weapon. We preach and proclaim God's word no matter what. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do we submit ourselves to God but by knowing his will? And how do we resist the devil but again by knowing God's will? We resist the devil the way Jesus did. It is written. It is written. It is written. Fully armored Christian soldiers should be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To the end, or to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Again, we see that even once the Christian is fully arrayed in God's armor, he still needs to pray. Got all of God's armor, offensive, defensive, and still we're going to look to him and pray. Give us the battle. Win the war for us. We are to always keep a prayerful disposition. It's not just something we do here and there. It's actually the way we live. In a constant state of prayer. And don't overlook this. Prayer in the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words when we make our weak attempts to pray. He takes our feeble words and carries them to heaven and makes them sound good. We are to be vigilant in these prayers. Many of us tend to become more negligent with regard to prayer in good times or perhaps in busy times. Notice that one for me lately. Busy times, not just good times. But that's why we're told we must keep alert with all perseverance. We have to be intentional about prayer. Prayer itself, in a sense, is spiritual warfare. It's very easy to become lax in our prayer life. We go to work. Day, tired, we got to come home, we got to take care of the family, get everybody ready, uh, we got to do homework, we got to get everybody ready for bed, here we go. And now I'm really, really tired, and I can barely keep my head up, and I'll pray tomorrow. Or maybe I'll just pray for the most important things, and I'll pray for the other things when I have more time. Whatever. I mean, we all experience this. We have to be vigilant in our prayer lives. It takes work. It's hard sometimes. 
particularly in this context of war against Satan and the powers of darkness, we are to pray and make supplication first for all the saints. We have to pray for each other and all the saints to be strengthened in the Lord. So, of course, I think that begins, pray for the saints you personally know. Right? Because you're probably more likely to know specific details about what they need, right? What's going on in their lives. You can be more specific. But then we also need to pray more generally, like we do for the prayer of the persecuted church. We need to pray for all of the saints. For the uh, gospel to go forward. For God's uh, truth to be uh, victorious in the lives of all saints. Not just spreading to those who are not saved, but even... Uh, putting away the darkness in those who already are justified. Right? So, we should pray for ourselves in that way, but we should also pray for all the saints in that way. We should pray for each other that we would each take up each of these pieces of armor and then use them rightly. So, pray generally for all the saints, but Pray particularly for the leaders of the church that like Paul, words may be given to us in opening our mouths boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel and that we may declare it boldly as we ought to speak. Now I'll say, unlike Paul, none of the elders at this church have literally been in chains for being ambassadors of the gospel. Again, when he's writing this, Literally, he has a chain on him. Like He is literally in chains. That's not figurative language. But I don't think any of us have ever experienced that here. And thank God for that. Um, and may it never be necessary that we would suffer such things. But we should be willing to go there if it does become necessary. It's already become necessary to our neighbors in the north. How many... Uh, how many pastors, how many stories did we hear about when COVID hit pastors going to jail because simply they refused to obey Caesar over Christ? Oh, you're telling Christ people they can't gather? Well, take a hike. <laughs> so they, they imprison them. We need not think that's so far away here. This is a hard thing. This is a hard saying. Though we're not threatened with little, literal imprisonment for preaching the gospel here yet, it is no secret we face potential backlash in other ways. And I'm not just talking about elders in this. I mean, really any Christian, this is true. It seems like an obvious statement, but the truth is not popular among people who hate the truth. They're not going to thank you for telling them the truth because they hate the truth. And if you're the one telling them the truth, they'll hate you too. Okay? Uh, that is, unless God does a work in their hearts, then that's, of course, what we're hoping will happen. But those who hate the truth cannot refute it. Darkness doesn't overcome light. So they seek to shut up those who proclaim it. There's so much societal pressure to conform to an anti-God morality in our current culture. I mean, even if it's, maybe it's somebody who, who's a good, really faithful pastor, 
everybody knows if he says this or that thing, he's going to tick some people off and he may end up getting fired. It's not going to be popular. So he doesn't say it. He can't risk losing his job. He's got a family. That's not the way it should be, though. Paul, Paul saying, pray for us that we would speak boldly as we ought to speak. The church needs pastors who will throw caution to the wind and simply stand on the word of God, come whatever may. Such men are still simply that, though. They're mere men. They need this armor, just like any other Christian. And we need the prayers and supplications of the saints. Just as much as any other saint. Paul moves into the final greeting portion of the epistle. Uh, he had sent Tychicus, most likely Tychicus was the one, uh, Tychicus, I said right, Tychicus. He had sent Tychicus, probably was the one bearing this letter. He was probably the one who physically took it to the Ephesians. He sends Tychicus to give a more personal update on his own condition and to encourage the hearts of the saints there. <clears throat> I do think that's instructive that we should keep in contact and encourage each other in that way. But um, Then he closed with these words. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Recall the great mystery of the gospel was that Christ came to save not just Jews, but Gentiles also, so that he might make the two into one family of God. That's why Paul was imprisoned, remember? He had really ticked off the Jews by saying that. And he wouldn't recant because what he was saying was true. Paul spent much time in this epistle explaining how positionally the church is at peace in Christ and then imploring them after uh, after declaring this uh, truth of their being, their state of being, that they should act out that peace among themselves. Likewise, he closes with another theme of the epistle, which is sacrificial love. Again, this is agape. The unity believers have in Christ should cause us to love each other the way Christ loves us. Of course, Christ loves us so much that he died for us. <clears throat> Paul adds to this love, faith. His faith works by love. And these are gifts from the triune God. From the Father, from the Son, and it doesn't say it there, but I think it's safe to say from the Spirit also. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Love incorruptible. That is, may God's gracious blessing be with all who love Jesus from a changed heart in a genuine and permanent way, not in external form only. So in closing, I want to encourage you, Sovereign Savior Church, to love one another Christ has loved each of us. 
be at peace with one another as Christ has purchased each one with his own blood. Take hope in the fact that in love, the Father predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has redeemed us through his blood, that the Spirit has indwelt each of us and serves as a down payment for the, full, uh, the fullness of the inheritance that we each will receive with Christ. Take encouragement from the fact that we are new creatures in Christ, made after the likeness of our Creator. God has and will unite all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. So be strong in the Lord. Pick up the whole armor of God. You have Bremen to win for Christ. You have Harrelson County to win for Christ. You have the state of Georgia to win for Christ. And so on and so forth until all the nations have been won over for Christ. All his enemies are placed under his feet. I love each one of you very much. I love this church very much. Everything this church has done for my family, for me. I've said this several times, but I've never been a part of a church that actually manifests these things where this one does. And I mean that. There's something special that God has done here. So strive to maintain it and for it to grow. I expect that's what's going to happen. I expect that God will continue to bless his church. I expect our sovereign Savior will bless sovereign Savior. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, Again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this epistle that we've looked at over the last several weeks. For all of the things that you teach us, your church, through this epistle. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember all of the lessons that we have learned. To know that we are your children, because of Jesus, that our sins are forgiven, that we have the righteousness of God, and so we are free as sons to live out that righteousness, to be obedient as sons are obedient to their father, and as sons are like their father. Lord, we know we live in a world that hates you, a world of evil and darkness. So, Lord, help us to do what we've heard today, to put on the full armor of God, to be strengthened in the strength of the Lord, and to wage war with joy in our hearts, knowing that at the end we will celebrate the victory of Jesus for eternity. It is in his name we pray.